I don't know if it's possible to love a row of people, but I love this front row of people uh, right here. Uh, folks from uh, here and from Ohio uh, that all vote all very in Tennessee too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, we try not to mention Tennessee in church. They're somewhere in the Bible, I don't know where it's not scripture, you're not supposed to say it. But anyway, um, <coughs> but I'm indeed happy that, y'all, that you are all uh, here with us. Uh, this morning. Um, in February of 2021, so it's been a couple of years ago, the Atlantic Magazine ran an article about sacrifice. This was in the lead up to the Catholic holiday of Lent, in which people give up something uh, that they desire in the build up to Easter. You may be familiar with Lent, you may not be, but the article's main point was that happiness can be derived from voluntary sacrifice. Now, one of the primary uh, one of the primary points of focus that the article mentioned was that people should sacrifice out of love, not out of fear. Now, in this article and in this research that they were doing, they found that motive was everything. Think about this for a second. When sacrifices were made to attain positive ends, they brought happiness. When sacrifices were made to elude negative circumstances, they brought unhappiness. Now you can fill in which one of your sacrifices or your sacrifices that you have, where they fall in that. <clears throat> but there was a positive or a negative, and it all came about with motive. Their final conclusion was that sacrifice should entail changing your behavior for the benefit of not just yourself, but for others as well. And that's what they deduced from that. This morning, we are in the book of May, or in the month of May, and we've been talking about, like once a month, different things about preaching Jesus. And this morning, we're going to look at 10 blessings from the sacrifice of Jesus. It fit pretty well, although it wasn't necessarily planned for this to fall right over Memorial Day. Because I think a lot of the things that we see today are sacrifices that work when we think about Memorial Day as well. But we're going to look at 10 blessings from the sacrifice of Jesus. How we benefited as a result. But I'm going to start ever so briefly with just an overview of Jesus. I am not breaking any new ground on the slide that you see right here. But I want us to think about what Jesus was, who Jesus was, and what sacrifice was made here real briefly. Number one, in the beginning we read in John chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus was with God and was himself God. The Word was God. He goes on to talk about it like that. So we set that as like an establishment to say that Jesus' situation was pretty good. One that most of us would not want to give up, right? Most of us, if we were in heaven, probably don't want to come and leave heaven. And if you're given that option sometime in the future, you probably won't be uh, wanting to come in. In coming to earth, number two, he didn't come in the glory and majesty of God, but rather, we read in Philippians chapter 2, he came in the form of man. There are uh, some things that I've been reading about um, <clears throat> about sort of art history uh, and their depictions of Jesus. And I want you to think about some sort of images that you've seen, paintings of Jesus over time. And how sometimes 
those images make Jesus look almost like glowing. Sometimes it's sort of a ruddy, rough complexion. Sometimes it's in between somewhere. But the point of this was to show that Jesus didn't look like the Son of God, whatever the people there thought the Son of God would look like. There's a reason for that, right? There's a reason for why Jesus comes in the form of a man. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says, While he emptied himself of glory, he didn't divest himself of deity. He was still part of the Godhead even on earth. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 said, Though he was rich, he became poor, so that we, being poor, might become rich. Right? So he gives up everything that he has. Can you imagine walking around and saying, That's fine, and that's fine, and that's fine, and that's fine, and that's fine. Well, when we think about that, it's kind of what Dad was mentioning there uh, in the offering. If you gave everything, you're really just giving back to God what was his in the first place. But Jesus sort of comes and lives a seemingly regular life for regular people about that time. We don't see anywhere that Joseph and Mary had the biggest house in town or anything like that. Seemed like a pretty regular life. The sacrificial death of Jesus then was the expression of God's love for man. We read that in John chapter 3 and verse 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In our scripture reading a second, uh, a second ago that Tom read, as the only redeeming power to save man, he was ordained from the beginning to rescue mankind from sin. And in the death of Jesus, many things were respected, especially those which are related to our sins. So I want to talk this morning about 10 blessings of Jesus the sacrifice. If you want to write these down, you can. Obviously, you don't have to. Each slide will look similar to this with a word and with a Bible verse tacked on there as well. We're going to start with the word that I have heard. Let's see, I'm 41 and a half years old. So I've heard this for 41 and a half years and I think for only about three weeks have I actually known what it meant, right? First word up here is propitiation. If we were to take a vocabulary test right now, we'd probably all fail, right? Because we say, I don't really know what this means. They say that. How many of you have heard this word before? All right? How many of you have stumbled over this word when reading before? That kind of thing right there. Well, propitiation is the act of gaining or regaining favor or goodwill of someone or something. Basically, you're getting into the good graces if you were in the bad. We don't use this word anymore. Here's why. Not all that. Use it. Oh, it may be hard to pronounce. But I was looking this up. And there is a fantastic tool through the Webster's Dictionary that shows how often words were used. And the word propitiation reached its height in 1820. So some of y'all probably like that. That's the time y'all wish y'all been alive. You know, 18 back then, that was good. But that word is almost not used anymore. In fact, I would argue that it's probably only used in Bible things, Bible references right there. But what does it really mean? Well, in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, we read, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. What does that mean though in the non-Paul writing to the Romans language? You know, if we were in 1820, we all know that's been 200 years ago, right? 
So as propitiation, what we see here, Jesus gave himself in our place to appease the Father in regard to our sins. Because think about it. We, we all sin fall short of the glory of God. We read that, right? And so because of that, there had to be some sort of bridge, some sort of connector. Well, that word is propitiation. Okay? So that's our first thing. Feel free to use that. You know, bump that number up just a little bit or don't use it and it'll be even less than it was in 1820. Number two, atonement. Second lesson, atonement. Romans chapter 5 and verse 11. You see there on the screen. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, we think about the word atonement. Sometimes it says, for our sins after the fact. The atone or the atonement for our sins. Something along those lines. But because of those sins that we had, we were enemies of God. Now think about that term there for just a second. We have people that we are friends with. We have people that we are acquaintances with. We might even have people that we don't necessarily see eye to eye with. But I'd say very few of us have many enemies in life, right? But we're described here as being enemies to God because of one thing. What was the one thing? Sin, right? That made us an enemy to God. But by his death, Jesus sort of reconciles that. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you were not necessarily seeing eye to eye with? Maybe you had some conflict at work or at school or in the neighborhood or something like that. And you were able to, for years, you sort of butted heads. And finally, you resolved that. Well, what you've done is you've reconciled. You've tried to make things right. Whatever happened in the past was wrong, but it had to be fixed. Jesus serves as that atonement because us as sinners were enemies of God. But that atonement is what made it to where we could be reconciled. It sort of closed that gap, as it were. Number three, forgiveness. A couple of verses for this. First, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, we read, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You've probably heard that verse or that statement, forgiveness of sins. If you've been to church once, you've probably heard that at some point. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The book of Colossians was written by Paul to the church at Colossae. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. And those letters were sent in different places. What do you notice about these two verses? startlingly similar, right? And so it feels like that that forgiveness was something that Paul felt needed to be mentioned. That we had this forgiveness. We can have our sins remitted or dismissed, if we want to use that word, and be free from the guilt that comes along with this sin. Now think about this for a second. Forgiveness in our world means what? I'm sorry, right? I forgive you. But when we forgive, we have a harder time forgetting, right? Because the last time you and I had this interaction, you did something wrong. And I'm going to forgive you, but I don't know that I really trust you. 
It's going to be hard for me when you come and ask for my mower a second time. When you broke it the last time, it's going to be hard for me to say yes, right? Well, think about that. We forgive, but we don't really forget. But forgiveness here in Colossians and Ephesians, we see that our sins are done what? They're blotted out. There's like no record of where that is. Think about whatever day it was that you were baptized. Your sins were washed away. Whatever happened up to that point is like a blank slate. We have a hard time with that though, right? God forgives us of that, but we have a hard time forgiving ourselves of that sometimes. Now, can we sin and fall short going forward? We certainly can. But that forgiveness there sort of helps us to move on, I guess you would say, with our lives, right? They are free. That guilt should be gone. Sacrifice number four, salvation. Salvation, safety, preservation from danger, destruction, whatever way you want to describe it. Contrast to these three words. Think about this. Word number one. It contrasts to the word death. So think about what death means. If we're contrasting something, Will and I talked about this in class this morning. If you contrast something, you're looking for the opposite, right? Tall, short, okay? Skinny, fat, whatever it might be. Contrast, something different right there. Well, if we think about salvation, it contrasts to death. So what's the opposite of death to you? Life, right? So salvation would be life. Word number two, destruction. You've seen destruction, unfortunately, in our state in the last couple of years. We've seen quite a bit of destruction from tornadoes and flooding and some of that kind of stuff. Some of us know people that have been affected by this kind of stuff. We know what destruction is, right? It's completely just done away with. It's completely gone. Well, what's the opposite of that? Everything's fixed. It's fine. It's good, right? So salvation contrasts to destruction. So it's the opposite of that. Number three, wrath. We don't use that word too much anymore, but we'll bring the wrath down on you or something like that. Well, salvation contrasts to that word as well. So it's the opposite of wrath. So if wrath is negative, then salvation is something positive. All three of those are blessings in contrast, uh, or excuse me, our blessings of Jesus' sacrifice. Each of those three things would be our outlook without Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom all things and by whom all are things. <clears throat> excuse me, let me start that up. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What that means here, what we see here, is that salvation is ours because Jesus died on the cross. That was the blessing of that sacrifice. Number five, peace. Colossians chapter one in verse 20 we read, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of of his cross. Think about this for just a second. Having made peace. Why do we strive for peace so much? We mentioned folks that have served in the military and on Memorial Day we think about those who have passed away who have died maybe in service or maybe afterwards and a lot of people as Ben mentioned there a second ago a lot of people weren't necessarily killed in war, 
But those wounds and those injuries made things very difficult to the point where it ultimately killed them somewhere down the line. Quite often people will pray for peace in our country or in the world. Well, it's a good prayer. It's probably not reasonable because there's never really been a time when there wasn't peace. But why do we desire it so? Well, we desire peace because of that story that Dad told me to go. It would have been a whole lot better if that had never happened. If there had never been a draft or a, a recruitment that would have sent somebody to Korea or to Vietnam or to, 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 to Europe in World War I or Japan in World War II or whatever it might have been, it would have been better if that would not have ever happened. We desire this peace, right? But where can we get peace? Is it anywhere? Well, the Bible says that there's war and rumors of war that would always be there. I mean, I teach world history. We don't go three minutes in class without talking about some kind of war. But the blessing of Jesus' sacrifice is peace. Not of the world, but a peace enjoying rest and contentment because of our relationship with God. The ability for us to look around and say, well, things are bad here, and things are bad there, and things are bad there. And if not, I'm not careful. It's going to bog me down. To where I have no peace at all. But I can find peace and comfort and understanding in knowing that I have peace with God through His Son, Jesus. Sacrifice number six. Jesus' sacrifice, his blessing, I shouldn't say sacrifice, but blessing number six. Jesus' sacrifice brought us near to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I can't read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 without thinking about the story of the prodigal son. Because when we read the story of the prodigal son, Jesus tells this story in his parables, and he says the man, the boy wanted everything. The guy, and his father gave it to him. And the Bible says that he went away and blew it all on riotous living. I think is the way that that was described. And whenever he comes back, after he realized he was sleeping in the pig pen and he didn't even eat as good as the pigs were, and he said, I got all kinds of stuff at home that I could go to. Jesus tells this story that says that the father was standing there looking down the road, waiting for him to come. The way that story is told, it makes me think that that guy had been standing there every day. He probably allocated a little bit of time looking down that road, hoping that somebody would maybe bring that son back home. When we think about being brought near to Jesus, that's exactly what that story is. We are a long way away. Not necessarily mathematically. Not on the map. It doesn't mean that I'm in California and you're in Florida. That's not what it means. But it means that spiritually, we are removed from Jesus. But by Jesus' sacrifice, we can be brought near. We can enjoy a close relationship because of this death. Number seven. Cleanse. First John chapter 1 and verse 7 we read, But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You've probably all heard that verse at some point or another. But by his death and shedding of his blood, he's able to cleanse us and make us pure from the defilement of sin. Is there anything better than a good shower? 
Mom takes like three showers a day. I mean, she's part of the reason Stanford Waterworks still exists, probably, because Mom <laughs> takes showers all the time. But every now and then, we all get a little dirty from one, one or another, right? We go out and mow, we go out and work in the yard or in the garden, we go out and, uh, you know, weed eat. Jimmy and I love it every minute of it. You know, we go out there and do all of that. And we think, you know, I'd like to eat. I got some tasks that I need to do. But right now, I really just need to go get in the shower. We want to be cleansed, right? Well, the thing about that shower is, and mom can prove this to you because she takes three a day. But the thing about that shower is that no matter how many times we shower, what we got to do tomorrow? We got to shower another time. A student one time years ago, the guy that I worked with, he said, boy, he just doesn't smell good. He's got to take a shower. And he said to the kid, he said, did you not shower? And he's like, we got to do that every day? I don't know if that was real or not. I don't know if, that, if he meant that or if he was just joking. But the point of that being is that we had to be cleansed all the time. Well, think about what Jesus' blood does for us. He's able to cleanse us and make us pure from the defilement of sin. And we also have that ability to, even when we make mistakes now, to sort of be re-cleansed if we want to use that word. Remember eight. Blessing and rape. Justification. I think I've said this before. If I haven't, then it's good. If I have, bear with me. But whenever you type something up, a letter or something on a computer, you can justify what you've written. And what that means is that the line will stretch all the way over to the end. There's not gaps in between. That's sort of a business level thing. I didn't know that until I was already married to Mary. And she told me one time when I was writing a paper that I should do it that way and it looks a whole lot better. I think that's uh, thank you for that. But anyway, to justify is to sort of square it up, right? To square something up, to make it stretch all the way across, however you want to think about it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. By Jesus' death, he's able to justify us. Well, what does that mean? Well, think about what that letter was that I was just talking about. Sort of squared that up a little bit, right? Sort of made things even. It was unbalanced. Jesus had done something for us, but we were sinners and we didn't. But that death sort of squared it up for us. Number nine. Blessing number nine. Redemption. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 15, we read, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgressions or sins of the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because he died, he can offer us redemption, redeeming or purchasing us from sin and from Satan. Last one. Sanctification. The tenth and final blessing of Jesus' sacrifice. If you see there, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 12, we read, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Jesus' death made it possible to sanctify you and me, the believer, to set us apart as belonging to God. Through Christ, we can be delivered from sin. And with obedience to the gospel, we can enjoy an eternal home in heaven when this life is over.
and things show there on the screen. Through Jesus, we can be delivered from sin because his death, the demands of law were satisfied. All the things that we read about in the Old Testament, all the things in the old law were done away with when Jesus went to the cross. Made it possible for him, for God, to justify man. In short, Jesus was the perfect solution, the perfect sacrifice. Each time that we come together, we offer an extended invitation to those who might need that cleansing, might need that sanctification, might need that propitiation or atonement, might need that peace, might need salvation, might need to be brought closer, might need any of these ten things on the screen. Because all ten things are blessings from the sacrifice of Jesus. And all ten things are necessary for us to see Jesus again when this life is over. If there's anything we can do for you, any way that we can help you, whatever it may be, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.